do a series on stewardship, which begins today. Brent and I drew straws, and I got the short straw, so I get to start off this morning. But I'm excited for this series. This is a very important series, a very serious, a very good conversation for us to have as Christians. The series is called Time, Talent, and Treasure. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how we as Christians, what does it look like for us to biblically steward our time, our talents, meaning our God-given gifts and abilities, and also our treasures, so our possessions and our money. This is a good question to talk about because we need to care about how we steward our things, and we already care about how we steward our things. Stewardship is something we're all concerned about. We teach our kids how to steward their money. I don't know about you guys, but when I was little, my parents gave me those little, I think we had jars. It was either envelopes or jars, but there was a savings jar, a giving jar, and a, I think a fun money jar and something else. Did anybody else have those? Show of hands, anybody else? A few people, yeah. We all had those envelopes, and you, know, you got your allowance, and you had to put the money in each one. I did not like it when I was a kid, but it paid off mom and dad. It taught me how to steward my money a little bit. Um, I was at McDonald's this morning. We love to steward our time well. I was at McDonald's, and you think um, McDonald's is, I mean, we were, I was there, I was in the drive-thru, and I, there was a guy about four cars behind me. They were a little slow. He was banging his horn, banging his horn over and over and over again. He did not want to waste his time. We are people who want to use our time well. We are people who want to use the time, the talents, the resources that God has given us well. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about time, talent, and treasure individually. But to this morning, I want to give you a principle that is going to apply to all three, and it's going to start us on this journey for biblical stewardship. And the principle is this, main point for this morning. Biblical stewardship begins at the cross. Now that may seem odd, that may seem a weird place to start at because we live in this time where we could go find podcasts, we could go read books, we could go ask our friends. There's, to, there, there's so much wisdom out there that we could find about balancing our time, making a budget, developing our skills. There's so many places we could start to learn how to steward our resources. But I want to challenge us this morning that before we go to any resources like podcast books, things like that, we're going to begin at the cross. Biblical stewardship begins at the cross. We're going to see this principle this morning in the book of James. So if you've not opened up, go ahead and open there. Our passage is from James. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. James is writing to his Christian brothers and sisters. He's writing to them because they are fighting with one another. They are quarreling with one another. And they are even hating one another. And this is a church. This is a church. So James is writing to them, and as he writes to them, he is going to identify three key things that have to do with stewardship. Number one, the struggle for the Christian. Number two, the danger for the Christian. And number three, the help for the Christian. So first we're going to start off with the struggle for the Christian. So James is going to jump right in. He's going to identify in our passage why these people are fighting so much, why these believers are fighting. Verses 1 through 3, he says, he asks a question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, before we go any further, we have to talk about this word passions because it's the passions within these believers that is leading them to fight and quarrel and hate one another. And this word passions, um, 
Like James says these passions are out of control. They're at war within them. That's a strong metaphor. They're fighting within them. So what are these passions? Well, I like how the NIV translates it. The NIV translates it desires. These are desires that are for worldly things and pleasures. Any worldly thing or pleasure you can think of. Desires for things like food, clothing, cars, relationships, notoriety, money, anything. There's nothing inherently wrong about these desires. Let me make that clear. There's nothing wrong about desiring a car, a house, or anything like that. The problem is that these Christians have become so consumed with their desires for these worldly things that they are actually fighting with one another. They're full of jealousy for one another's things. They're coming to church and just being envious of one another. Verse 2 says, They desire and do not have, so they murder. They covet and cannot obtain, so they fight and quarrel. They are so jealous of one another's stuff that they are fighting with one another that rather than loving and encouraging and building one another up in Christ, they are fighting one another. They are even, it says, murdering one another. Now, when he says murder, I do not think that James is saying like they are physically killing each other. I think he's talking about how Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount that we can murder someone in our heart by hating them. It's like, it's like cutting them out. It's hating them. It's disliking them. A good example of this, I was, um, I kind of experienced this at one point in my life. Um, my first roommate in college, we, we were both Christian studies majors, and uh, we became good friends later, but we got off to a rocky start, and one of the reasons was because I was so jealous of his brains. I wanted his brains. We were both Christian studies majors, so we had a lot of the same class, a lot, a lot of the same classes, and uh, when you're a Christian studies major, basically you read and you write. That's what you do. And so we would have hours and hours of reading. He would finish all his reading in half the time it took for me. He would write his papers in half the time it took me to write my papers. He would study half the time that I did and all his grades would be higher and I would get so mad I would get so mad and I wouldn't tell him I just hold it in but I would be so jealous of him and it led to this tension between us and that's what's happening they're so jealous of one another's things that there's tension in this church and on top of this jealousy that's happening as we're about to see their desire for worldly pleasures and things has actually surpassed their desire for God in the things of God. Verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. So many of them have stopped coming to God. Many of them have stopped praying. That they're, they're not asking God for these things. But those who are, James points out, those who are are only asking God just to get their desires fulfilled. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, the believers are treating God like the genie in the movie Aladdin. He's just there to fulfill their wishes, to fulfill their desires. They go to him, he gives them what they want, they go away. They're not worshiping him. Church, this is a sad situation that James is writing to. So sad. They're not, these Christians are not looking at each other with love and compassion. They're looking at each other with jealousy and rivalry. They're feeling inferior to one another. They're feeling superior to one another. And on top of that, they're so consumed by desire for worldly things and pleasures that they're not even thinking about God. They're not praying, they're not worshiping, they're not following him. These are believers, church, who have chosen to follow the world instead of God. That's what it means to follow the world instead of God. It means to put our desires above God's in our life. 
To follow the world is to value and pursue what the world says to value and pursue instead of what God says to value and pursue. And church, this is our daily struggle as Christians. From the moment we wake up to the moment we fall back asleep, we choose either to follow God or to follow the world. Either to place our desires above God or God's desires above our own. I'll give you an example. In the morning, we choose either to spend our time in the Word or to sleep an extra 30 minutes. While driving, we choose either to help that person on the side of the road or to ignore them and continue driving. While eating lunch with a friend or coworker, we choose either to bring Jesus into the conversation because we know they don't know Jesus, or we choose to hide him away. In making a budget, we choose either to let God decide how we spend our money or to shut him out and decide ourselves. This is our daily struggle as Christians. Follow the world in our own desires or follow God in his desires. And as we seek to steward our resources well, we need to know that it is going to be a struggle. Our flesh is going to war against us. And unfortunately, the Christians that James is writing to, they have chosen to follow the world. They have given in to their passions. And this choice is very dangerous. We've talked about the struggle. Now we're going to talk about the danger for the Christian. Because there is danger in pushing God to the side, church. Here's what James has to say in verse 4 to those Christians, these Christians who have chosen to push God to the side. He says, verse 4, note the exclamation mark. He says, you adulterous people. Pulls no punches, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James makes his point to follow the world is to make yourself an enemy of God. And what he means by enemy, it's not that if we choose our desires over God, we lose our salvation or anything like that, but it means that we are opposed to God, that we are his enemy, that we are at enmity with God. And there's no middle ground. It's either follow God follow the world. There's a good example of this in the Old Testament if you go to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 7, God is leading Israel through uh, conquering the promised land. He leads Israel in and he tells Israel, all right, Joshua, Israel, I'm going to give you all the military victories. You are going to have every military victory. No one is going to defeat you. All you have to do is not take certain spoils that you come across. You're going to conquer these cities. Don't take certain spoils. Well, there's this guy named Achan The first city they conquered, Jericho, Achan sees some of the spoils. He desires them, and he takes them. And at first he hides them, but he's soon found out, and as a result, he is cast out of Israel. He's actually stoned. So Achan is a guy who tried to follow both God, to obey God, but also follow his own desires, and in the end, it made him an enemy of God. Church, it is dangerous to be an enemy of God. God's enemies in the Bible never fare well. Can we agree on that? Egypt didn't fare too well. And guys, we have to remember that James is not writing to to unchristians. He's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to us. He is rebuking us. We need to hear these words. You adulterous people. He's writing to me. He's writing to you. And that word is so strong, it means unfaithful. James is calling us to consider if we're being unfaithful to God. If our desires for our personal worldly pleasures have surpassed our desire for God and what he wants in this world. 
And church, we need to consider his words because we're Christians, we're a church, and there is a lot of good things around us to desire. We have a lot of good things, and there's nothing wrong with these good things. But we need to ask this question, are my desires for my own pleasure greater than my desires for God and his pleasure? We'll come back to that question later. This week I was reflecting on what what this would look like in our life. Like, what would it look like for our desires for pleasure to surpass our desires for God and his things. And we need to know because what we, this is the danger. We need to know this because this is what makes us an enemy of God, according to James, what makes us an unfaithful disciple. For the Christians James was writing to, the kind of their symptom was jealousy and fighting and hate. They were so consumed with worldly passions that they were fighting with one another. Praise God, that's not the case in our church. I don't, I don't think. Were there any brawls out in the lobby before, before the service? I don't think so. And I was reflecting on this. I think for us today, the temptation may not be jealousy and anger and hate. I think the temptation is frivolousness in how we spend our resources and our time, our talent, and our treasure. Because we live in a culture that says, spend on yourself. Acquire more and more. Acquire more things. Acquire more experiences. Do or get whatever makes you happy. Get a bigger house, get a newer car, take a second vacation, make a bucket list and check every item off. And if you're retired, culture says, enjoy the rest of your life. Spend it focused on yourself and on only what you want to do. I mean, I'm not saying this is what we bought into. I'm saying this is what culture tells us. And I think the danger for us is that we can so easily buy into that to where we start Spending everything on ourselves. We're tempted to go about fulfilling our desires without pausing and considering God. I'll give you an example, money. It's, we can be so tempted to establish our budget and make all the line items and then say, okay, God, you get what's left at the end. Like, well, like whatever's left at the end of the month, we'll give to God. Or time, we can do the same thing with time. We can get all our priorities lined out, all our commitments for the week, and then whatever's left, we'll give to God. We say, we'll serve if we're available. We'll come to church if our schedule allows. Our talent, we can do the same with our talent. Each person in this room is uniquely gifted to serve God, yet we can choose to only serve him when it's convenient for us. This is our danger because to live this way, according to James, is to live as an enemy of God, as opposed to God. And this might seem harsh until we read verse 5. Verse 5, James writes, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? What does James mean by this? God is jealous for us? We actually talked about this with the Gap kids, the 5th and 6th graders, and it was kind of hard for them to wrap their minds around God being jealous, but I think we got it. But it's an idea in the Bible, and it means what it says, that God is jealous for our affection. We are his, created in his image, made with love like cookies from mom. We like, he loves us, he made us, we can feel the love. Like a husband is jealous for the love and affection of his wife and vice versa, God is jealous for us, for our affection and our love. He does not want to share us with the world. Jesus did not die on the cross so that, he could sh- so that we could go out and pursue the world so that he could lose us. And this is why James is so emphatic with his rebuke. Jesus gave literally everything imaginable so that we might be able to receive the forgiveness of our sins. 
Jesus gave up his place in the heavens. He took on flesh, he suffered, he shed his blood, he endured shame, pain, and death, and he did it all out of his love for us, not because we deserved it or earned it, but because we needed it, and he wanted to do it because he loves us. He gave it all so that we might walk in newness of life, free of sin and full of hope. And how do we respond to this grace? By giving him the scraps of our time and our talent and our treasure? By setting God to the side and pursuing our own desires? Suddenly, I understand why James uses the word adulterous. God has been so faithful to us and he's given us everything, yet we often are unfaithful. We desire to buy, do, or experience this or that, while our desire to meet the many needs of the poor in the world are often lacking. I recently took the students to help with Feed My Starving Children. It's an organization that packs food for uh, the, poor, the poor, poor kids around the world, and there they told us that 6,200 kids die every day from starvation and malnutrition around the world. Yet, we continue to spend and spend on ourselves. We desire to socialize with friends and social circles, yet our desire to evangelize and disciple those who have not heard the gospel or do not believe is lacking, non-existent, maybe not where we want it to be. I recently finished a missiology class, which is the study of missions for my seminary degree. Right now, there are 3.2 billion people in the world who are considered unreached, meaning there is no real tangible access to the news of Jesus. Third of the world. We desire to raise kids who are smart, athletic, musical, kind, and respectful, which are all good things. While often our desire to raise disciples of Jesus who give it all for him often pales in comparison. So often we are content to give God just a piece of our life or the leftovers of our lives. How sinful are we that we would repay his generous grace with scraps? Church, if you're wondering where I got these examples, because I'm not high and mighty up here, if you're wondering where I got these examples, I got them from reflecting on my own life. My desire to make a tight circle of friends that, that can love me and support me has often surpassed my desire to disciple people in my life and to evangelize. Now, maybe that's because I'm a six on the Enneagram. If you're not familiar with Enneagram, six is like a loyal circle of people around them. But uh, my desire for fun weekend trips and mountains of books and movies has often surpassed my desire to give my money. I have come back to this passage throughout my life again and again because every time it hits me in the heart and it shows me that my temptation is to put my desires above God's and that is so wrong because God has given me everything. Julie and I are kind of on a stewardship journey right now. We don't have kids and so we are, we're kind of realizing, you know what, we have more time and probably more money than some people. So how are we going to use this time? How are we going to use this money? We're trying, we're trying, you know, many of you know we're trying to adopt right now, but until then, how are we going to use this time and money? And I say that to say that all of us in this room are at different places. Some of us have kids, some of us don't, some of us are empty nesters, some of us are retired, some of us are single. I even see some kids in the room. Stewardship will look different for each one of us, but we all need help because we all have the same danger when it comes to stewardship, that we will put 
our desires above God's in our life. And so we all need help. Number three, the help for the Christian. I don't think the Christians that James was writing to woke up one day and said, we're going to put our desires above God's desires. I don't, I don't think they woke up and said that. And I don't think that we wake up and say that. I don't think I get up every, one morning and say, I'm just going to do what I want to do today. Maybe we say that. But like, not, we don't wake up and say, I'm going to be an enemy of God today. I think that more often than not, that what happens is we accidentally or unintentionally kind of stumble into this sin. Over time, our flesh tempts us to choose ourselves over God until more and more and more until we eventually look more like a disciple of the world than a disciple of Jesus. James wants us to know that when this happens, when we stray, when we choose ourselves over God, there is grace. Verse 6, beautiful phrase, but God, he gives more grace grace. God gives us grace upon grace. On top of the grace that he has given us and saving us, he continually gives us grace every day when we choose ourselves over God, when we put our desires before God's desires. Grace is not a one-time experience. It's a daily experience. When I was in high school, the popular worship song was How He Loves by John Mark McMillan. And one line of the song went, if grace is an ocean, We're all sinking. God's grace is an ocean, and praise him for that because we are going to lose this struggle sometimes. We we are sinners in need of God. We are going to fall short. We are going to choose our own desires over God, especially when it comes to stewardship. We're going to struggle in this area. But praise God that he gives us grace. God doesn't respond by saying, oh, you didn't steward what I gave you. Give it back. You can go find some other God. No, he doesn't do that. He gives us grace. He is jealous for us. Grace is abundant. Grace comes from a loving God who is jealously running after us like the father to the prodigal son. He comes running after us when we stray. He does not want to share us. God is our help in this journey of stewardship. But grace is more than something we receive. It is also an example. God's grace is never ending. I said at the beginning that biblical stewardship begins at the cross. I think now we can understand what that means. Before you and I can go to any resources or decide anything about how we're going to use our money, our time, our talents, we have to come to this core understanding of the cross. We must see ourselves at the foot of the cross, looking at our Savior. We, We must see his grace literally being poured out for us. We must see him giving it all. And with that knowledge at the forefront of our mind and in the middle of our heart, then we can decide how to steward our time, our talent, and our treasure. Tonight, I want, there's three things I want, three steps you can take as we go from here, three points of application. I don't want any of you to wait to do this. I want you can do this as a family. You can do this individually. You can do this at small group tonight or later in the week whenever you meet. Three things. Number one, repent. Verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Then it says, therefore it says, he's quoting Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God forgives those who repent. If you're here this morning and you're realizing that you strayed, which believe me in preparing this sermon, I realized, man, I've strayed in some areas of my life. If you're here and you're realizing that you've strayed in one way or another, repent. There is grace for you. But don't just repent, reflect. Number two, if we jump down a little bit further in James to verse 14, James says, what is your life? Talking to us. 
What is your life? You are a mist that appears, y'all like, y'all like that? That appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's us. James is pointing out that in the grand scheme of history, we are so, our time is so small, it's so limited. So how will you use the brief time that you've, God has given you? Will you use it to make much of yourself or much of God? John Piper tells a story in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He grew up with this quote by C.T. Studd, who was a missionary, framed in his house. The quote goes, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Piper says that as he grew up, he began to live by that quote, by this idea that we can build ourselves an empire for ourselves in this life. We can get all the money, all the stuff, all the relationships. We can have everything. But in the end, it will only be what we have done for Christ that will be with us when we stand before him at the end of our life. So I ask again, how will you use the brief time you have? Will you make much of yourself or will you make much of God? So repent, reflect. Number three, reset. It's so easy for us to fall into the sin of choosing ourselves over God in one area of life or in all areas of life. And sometimes we just need to perform a reset. I think of it like a computer or any kind of tech gadget. Oftentimes our tech messes up and half the time, what fixes it if you just turn it off and turn it back on again? You, you do a reset and it gets it back on track. Sometimes we just need to do that in our life. We need to just reset, refocus. And how do we do that? We remember the grace of God. We remember the cross. Biblical stewardship begins at the cross. We see ourselves there receiving God's grace, and then we decide how to go out and steward the time, talent, and treasure we have. Ask yourself, are my desires for my own pleasure greater than my desires for God and his will in my life? When I think of people I know who are inspiring stewards, there's one family that comes to mind. I had the pleasure of meeting them when I was dating Julie. They, their names are Vic and Jan Davis. Vic and Jan are members at my in-laws church in Tennessee. And uh, like I said, I met them when I was dating Julie. Vic is a man who's done well in life. He started a construction company. It became very successful. And uh, they have been, they, they have served and still serve in numerous roles in their church. Jan teaches Sunday school. She visits people who are in need in the church. They financially support people who are in need. Vic is also the church's construction man. So if anything big needs to be done, he just does it without being asked. I heard one story where it snowed and like without being asked, Vic came in with us like a snowplow and just totally cleaned up everything in the parking lot so they could have church. And on top of this, at around age 50, when, so they, they raised three kids, and then at around age 50, when most people are done with raising kids, moved by the orphan crisis in the world, they adopted two girls from Ethiopia. But not content with just two, it wasn't much longer until they adopted another two girls from Ethiopia. And then, just recently, at around 60 years old, like almost retirement age, they adopted another girl from China. I have a picture of them. Should pop up on the screen, maybe. If you get it, Troy, you can throw it up there. The point is, when they could be going about their life and entering into this phase of life, when they're saying, all right, we've done our part, we've raised our kids, we've served our church, we're going to go 
enjoy our life? No, they're still going. They're still pushing. They're still using their time they have, the resources they have, everything they have to serve and love God. And I want to make it clear, it hasn't been easy. During all of this, Vic has had some health scares, and there's been some crazy stuff that's happened, but it hasn't slowed them down one bit. And if they were here, I've met them, I've talked to them, they've told me this, they'll tell you this, they would say they're not special at all. And I agree. They're just using what God has given them to bring glory to the name of Jesus and to those who need love, who need to know about God's love. God has blessed the Davis family with a lot of resources, but they have stewarded it so well, and they are continuing to do so. And the Davis family makes my point this morning clear. Biblical stewardship begins at the cross. Why do the Davises give all of themselves and keep doing it? Because Jesus gave it all for them, and he continues to give us grace. How then will you use what God has given you, church? Your time, your talent, your treasure. Will you make much of your name with it, or will you make much of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for this church. Father, as I preach this morning, I hear, I, th- I just, I see that we are so blessed, myself included. We, are, we have so much. Father, I pray that we would use what you have given us to bring glory to your name. We would use the love that you have given us to love those around us that we would love our community, love our neighbors, love the people around us, that we would not prioritize our own desires and wants before your desires, God, but that we would prioritize you and your kingdom and your will first in our lives. Father, we love you. We are so grateful for the grace that you've given us. In your name I pray, amen.